God is moving in the world today. It looks different, and it's going to look different. Is that okay? Can we let God be God? One thing that I see coming is he is turning the institutional church up on its ear. Some of us don't like that. I don't necessarily like that. I don't like it when my cheese has been moved. I have a son about to graduate high school in a couple of months, and God saw fit to give us a second child a year and a half ago. I have a one-year-old and an 18-year-old. Just when I got everything organized, this week, I walked into the house looking for my checkbook. He likes to take things. See, I'm a person of order. I believe things have a specific place. And if they're not in that place, somebody's to blame for that. Nothing's ever in place anymore. I walked in. He had taken my checkbook. I still keep a checkbook. Some of you are like, what's a checkbook? I still keep a checkbook every morning. And I'm like, Liam, where's my checkbook? And he points to where it was. And I said, no, that's where the checkbook was. I turned the house upside down looking for my checkbook. I found it underneath the coffee table, underneath a lot of blankets. Stuff gets moved. This Christmas, I'm a big person of remote control. All of our Christmas lights in our house are on remote control. And all the remotes are beside me. He stole the remote to the Christmas tree. I would walk through the house at random times and the tree would be on. I'd walk through and the tree's off. It was days. He had hidden it. He would go turn it on. He would hide it back. I'm chasing rabbit trails from the first second I started talking. What I'm trying to say is things are going to get moved. I like what Pastor Zach said. Revival isn't just coming. Revival's here. Uh, A lot of people get caught in the mode of what's coming because they're waiting for something that they had seen before. And it's not going to look like that. Actually, revival is taking place. A move of God like the world has never seen. Thousands were flocking to Jesus just to experience something, just to hear him, just to worship him, just to get a glimpse of him. Excitement was everywhere. People were confessing sins and falling on their faces in repentance. People were being forgiven of those sins. How many people are thankful that the word says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Healing was taking place. Deliverances were happening. People everywhere were being refreshed and coming together from all over the nation. It was literally all anybody could talk about. And so it was everywhere Jesus walked. He literally had to move his ministry into the countryside because the towns couldn't hold it. Revival followed him. And you would think in such an awesome move of God, people being saved, people being delivered, people being set free, people being healed, God being exalted, that every person would be in unity over that move of God. But that simply wasn't the truth. Nor is it the truth at this moment. People never are. 
Revivals do something to people. Instead of simply embracing what it is that God wants to do, people find themselves in a myriad of different places. And this morning, I'd like to talk about four responses to the move of God. This one, I'm sure you've never heard on this side of the Mississippi before. I'm going to call it the opposers and the criticizers. Is criticism just stuck on the east side of the Mississippi or has it found its way over here into Missouri as well? Man, there's a nervousness. Do I, am I supposed to say amen to that? Am I, how am I supposed to respond to that? I want you to think about this. I did a little cursory glance at the book of Matthew. In Matthew chapter 8, right after the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus heals the Gadarene demoniac. Remember this guy? He couldn't be bound. He was lost his clothes. That's an interesting deliverance. I pray that doesn't take place this morning here at Christ Church. Jesus goes across the river or across the lake and he delivers this man. And he couldn't be bound with chains. He had no clothes on. He lived among the tombs. And the people showed up. And you would think it would be, thank God. Praise God for this. But that wasn't the response at all. One of the most peculiar responses in the Bible, Pastor Zach, they asked Jesus to leave. They said, would you please get out of our region? Why? That, that is so incredibly odd to me that such a move of God would take place. And their response was, you got to get out of here. There was a paralytic killed in the next chapter, Matthew chapter 9. And the scribes, instead of saying, thank God, this man that showed up that couldn't walk, what did they say? This man is blaspheming. They called Jesus a blasphemer. A mute man was healed in the same chapter. And the Pharisees said, it's only by Satan that you cast out Satan. That's interesting. Brother Parrish, my founding, our founding pastor, my spiritual father, and he passed away a couple weeks ago. He always said something, and I thought this was good. He started a church kind of like Christ Church over 50 years ago in a little town called Brinesburg. That's where I live. And uh, it was a heavy de denominational town. And somebody came up to him and said, do you guys cast out demons at that church? And Brother Parrish, one, one of the most beautiful responses in history, said, yes, we do. What do you do with them? And I <laughs> thought, that's such, such a good response. Brilliant. Matthew chapter 12, a man with a withered hand. The Bible says, after this man whose hand was withered was healed, they went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Also in Matthew chapter 12, a demon oppressed man. It is by the prince of demons that you cast out demons. If I was Jesus, I would say, yeah, I'd heard that one before. They've given me that before. Matthew chapter 13 it even says that they were astonished at his teaching because he taught with authority, not like the scribes. But then after that, they rejected it, and it cost them a move of God. Matthew chapter 21, a blind and a lame man healed and exclaimed him as, You are the son of David! But it says everybody else was indignant. They were furiously angry that he had healed a lame man and a blind man. Or perhaps one of the greatest stories after Jesus is gone, to the Father in the book of Acts, you see the lame man healed at the gate. In the fallout of that, the, disciples, the Pharisees and the scribes were trying to silence 
Jesus out of jealousy. They were totally rejecting this move of God, even though they knew that a true move was taking place. They tried to get rid of it until one of them stands up and says, you better watch yourselves because you could find yourself opposing God. Here's the truth, and everybody listen to me this morning. God is moving again in the world today. Actually, he's never stopped moving. You better be very, very careful what we open our mouth and speak against in this season. Be very careful what you criticize. Be very cautious of your words right now. And I'll tell you what happens in my life. I'm a skeptic by nature. If I don't understand something, the first and the quickest pathway in my body is from my mind to my mouth. Well, I don't know what to think about that. And all of a sudden, I've postured myself in a negative, critical framework of something that might just be God. Just because you don't understand something does not mean that it isn't God. Do you know that God could care less if you understand it or not? God could care less about your comfort level. Well, I would really rather you do it this way, God. Anybody else get in that mode where you, you have your preference of how you like God to move? If I was a blind man, I would prefer Jesus telling me, be, you know, let your eyes be open. I wouldn't choose the path of spit. The path of spit. Path of spit. But how many people know there was a man in John chapter 9 who was born blind and Jesus spits in the mud and makes a spit mud pie and puts on his eyes and he says, go wash. And the man saw. I would rather have a move of God than have my preference about how God does it. See, we are so indoctrinated through tradition that it has to be this way. And with all due respect, God can do what he wants to. There's one thing I've learned about the move of God. And it's so simple. It's God's move. It's not mine. Sure, there is going to be, and this might just absolutely shock you, Is this a church that loves the move of the Spirit? Ours is as well. And I'll tell you something that we've seen 100% of the time, right alongside the move of God, the move of flesh. Anybody ever gotten in the flesh in this church, or are we 100% in the Spirit? Our church will get in the flesh real fast. God will start moving and then somebody will give up and give a prophetic word and you know when it goes from God speaking to that person, it's just totally started missing it now. They should have sat down quite a bit ago. That's no longer God, this is flesh. And and I got to kind of complaining about this uh, to my spiritual father. And I said, Brother Paris, how did you deal with this? How do you deal with flesh? And he said, Brother Richie, I want to tell you something, and I don't want you to ever forget it. He said, in every move of God, you will have the spirit and the flesh. He said, but I'd rather have both of them than neither one of them. And I thought, man, that is the truth, guys. We've got to give people grace and mercy to operate in the gifts of the spirit. Guess what? People are going to miss it sometimes. But if you just have enough discernment, you might be able to figure out what God is doing. 
man, I cannot tell you how many times something or someone or something at church and the responses I get afterwards. That's one of the pastor's just biggest blessing. God will move and then somebody will call. You're, you're on a high. I'm sure Pastor Zach doesn't have this. But at my church, you're just on a high. Thank you, God, for the move of God this morning. Such an awesome move of God. People saved. People filled with the Spirit. People just falling on their faces and confessing sins, repenting of sins. And you're on the way home and you get a phone call. And you know what's coming. Brother Retchy. It's always that voice, too. You know that. I'm like, oh, Lord, God, give me the grace. What is that? That is a response to the move of God. And I'll be honest, I have found myself in that response a lot. It was nothing new in today's culture. It started with Jesus, and it will always be there. Do not choose this pathway. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. I think Siri is becoming self-aware. I don't know what it is. It just starts talking all of a sudden. And... This AI culture we live in, I think preachers are just going to start sitting down and AI is going to start preaching. This... That's a joke. Everyone say the critical response. It's not the right response. Revelation chapter 3. The second response is totally different. And I'm telling you, this will absolutely infect a church body. I call it the apathetic response. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write the words of the Amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would you be either cold or hot? But because you're lukewarm and are neither hot nor cold, I'll spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you're wretched, you're pitiable, you're poor, you're blind, you're naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you may be rich and white garments that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come into him and I'll eat with him and he with me. And the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. As I also conquered and sat down with me on my father's throne, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I, I need to confess something this morning. I'm an addict. And I'll tell you what that addiction is. It's coffee. Do we have any other addicts in the building this morning? Oh, we're in the right place. I drink it every morning. I drink it as often as I possibly can. It's literally the nectar of the gods. It's God's gift to man, and I say thank you, Jesus. I'm a hot coffee drinker. Now you go in. I'm embarrassed to be with some of my friends and how they order their coffee. 
I, I went into a guy with, at Starbucks not too long ago, and I ordered a cup of coffee, and he says, I'll have a hibiscus refresher. And I'm like, dude, I beg you, please never order that when you're with me ever again. It's the most emasculating, embarrassing thing I've ever walked through. But I actually went for something a couple weeks ago. I walked in. It was a little hotter that day. It's one of those days. It's like 70. Aren't you thankful for a, a, a winter that had 70 degrees? And, and I walk in. I'm like, you know what? I want something cold, but I need caffeine. How about you give it to me cold? See, my barista always asks the same thing, hot or cold. You know, we're the same drinking, get it hot or cold. And usually I'm hot, and, and she doesn't even ask anymore, but that day she's like hot or cold. And I said, you know what? Make it cold. Can I tell you I enjoyed it? I, I know it's embarrassing. I'm afraid I'm on the pathway to the hibiscus refresher. I don't know. <clears throat> But I'll tell you one thing that she's never said to me. I've never heard her ask anybody, do, do you want it hot, cold, or, or would you like it kind of tepid, kind of room temperature? Anybody like room temperature coffee? No. Usually if you're in a restaurant and it's been there a while, what does the waitress do? She comes around with the carafe and says, hey, uh, would you like me to warm this up for you a little bit? Because there's a gag reflex that hits in me. If it's like, oh gosh, my dad used to eat it or drink it scalding. He would get it straight out of the pot, put it in the microwave for two minutes, and then drink it. My, I never understood how he did that. It's kind of an odd thing, actually. That's what I think of when I think of this passage. It's the same thing in our spiritual lives. In fact, it's the same exact message that Jesus has for the Laodiceans. He gives them a little taste and he says, hey, some of you like it hot, some are cold. It's that same gag reflex in the mouth of God. If we are lukewarm, if we're not hot or cold, he says, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. That is not good for anything. And that's what Jesus is telling us. You know, I've always kind of lived my spiritual life. I grew up Pentecostal, old school Pentecostal. Not the new school, old school. Higher the beehive, the more holy they were. <laughs> Longer the denim skirt, the closer their mansion would be to Jesus. I'm not kidding, and I don't say that to make fun of anybody. That's how I grew up. Yeah, yeah. That was my culture that I grew up in. But I want to tell you, I, I have lived a life because I've seen a lot. I, I started church nine months before I was born. I've seen a lot, and it's given me this desire to be middle of the road. I don't want to get in the ditches. I, I don't want to be a nut. I grew up a PK, and I saw a lot. I'm, like, I'm just going to be dignified. I'm going to be in the middle of the road. And you know what? There's something to say about staying out of the ditches. But when we allow that to make us apathetic to the things going around us because I don't want to be like that, Oh, man, there was one person in our church. They used to be the most free worshiper in the, in the planet. Don't you love those people that are totally uninhibited? Oh, uh, maybe you don't. Like, no, not in this church. I mean, David, let, let's look at David. He was the guy that disrobed himself. I, I'm not going, we're not having visual aids this morning, don't worry. He comes into Jerusalem because the glory of the Lord... 
is returning to Jerusalem. The ark is back, which represents the manifested presence of God. And David is so excited about this. He's dancing. And his wife says, you look like a fool. How many husbands have heard that? Not in that necessarily narrative. I've been, yeah, Richie, you're, you're not. David didn't like that. And he says, I will get more undignified than this. And what does he do? He totally disrobes himself and dances in the presence of God and he celebrates the glory of the Lord. Let me tell you something about the church in Laodicea. Every other church, they have some blatant sin that Jesus, through the angel, is absolutely just blistering. I'll tell you, I have this against you. You tolerate that old hussy Jezebel. Is that a bad word? I hope it's not. A... <coughs> Forgive me. I, I, I pray that's not a bad word. Just kind of popped out. Not in the notes. Do you know Laodicea doesn't have any of that? They don't have some terrible sin. He's like, you're in the middle of the road. Nothing affects you anymore. You're not hot. You're not cold. You're totally apathetic. How many times have we been in the presence of God? And God is stirring and we just sit there. When's this going to be over? People are getting in the river. I don't feel anything. And we are being led around by our emotions in church. Guys, emotions make a terrible master. They make a wonderful servant. Do you know you don't have to even like the song you're singing to lift your hands and give praise to the name of Jesus Christ? I call worship in modern day church, it's like the state of the union. You sing a hymn, this side stands up. This one says, I don't like this song, I'm going to sit down. You sing something over here that's nearer, this side will stand up. Woo! And this one, I want to sit down for this. Jesus is still worthy through it all. But the problem is, we are being led around by our emotions. Well, I don't really feel anything here. It doesn't matter what you feel. Your feelings are not indicative of the fact if God is in the room or not. Well, I don't feel him. Or if I maybe felt one goosebump, I'll get my arms up at half mass. We define revival in terms of emotion and that's that's a big problem when we look at revival as some hyper emotional experience that's not what it is guys am i in the right church this morning god's wanting to move and i, I live my life thinking I, i'll just have enough religion to be respectable not a radical crazy person I, I, that's not for me that that's not what i'm gonna be I want to dip my toe in the waters of revival, but I'm not going to swim in it. That's for somebody else. Jesus seems to think the exact opposite. Get all in. Deep is calling unto deep. Pastor Zach said this morning, deep waters are calling us this morning. I really, really believe that. And here's the real problem. It's not just the fact that they're apathetic, that they're lukewarm. It's what they're lukewarm about. See, that's a big thing. I can go stand in the parking lot this morning and say, okay, this site isn't too great. It's gravel. It's, it's pavement. Okay, nice pavement. Great parking lot. 
But if I have that attitude, I could take it or leave it, you know? Standing on the edge of the Grand Canyon, like one of the most majestic sites in the nation, like I could take it or leave it. Or let's take art, for instance. We have a preschool office, a preschool room between my office and my secretary's office. I always walk down this hallway. And, you know, she puts up some of their artwork sometimes. In terms of art, I mean, I, I could get there with a critical eye and say, uh, well, the shading isn't too good on this, you know. This, it's okay. Unless it's your child, and immediately you need the phone number for the Louvre, and it needs to be, like, encased in glass. But if I'm standing looking at Michelangelo's masterpiece and say I, I could take it or leave it in the Sistine Chapel. See, what they're apathetic about, it isn't just a church service. Jesus starts this, it's apathy about him. He says, I'm the amen. I'm the faithful witness. If we can be apathetic about the person of Jesus Christ and be unmoved, that is a wake-up call for the church today. It's not just a service. Oh, I didn't like that. It is the person of Jesus Christ that they are being lukewarm about. If we can't get on fire for the person of Jesus, something is wrong with us. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. I love that. Jesus is. Let me tell you what Jesus is. Jesus is everything. He's the lover of my soul. He's my best friend. He's my savior. He's my redeemer. Jesus is everything. Before Abraham was, he is. He, I am. Jesus is the center of it all. We need to always be on fire for the person of Jesus Christ. Everyone say the critical path. Uh, then it's followed by the apathetic path. And it's just as present. This one is very prevalent as well. And if those first two points didn't offend you, hold on, don't leave. I want you to be offended before you leave this morning. <laughs> Just kidding. I love you. I really, really do. This one hurts my feelings, though, because it's the truth. In John chapter 6, it begins with one of the most fascinating miracles that Jesus does. We don't know exactly how many people are present. They're on a countryside. And do we have any chosen fans in this room? Is that okay? I, I, I watched that series. I love how they depicted this, the feeding of the 5,000. Siri, good grief. Uh-oh, when a preacher takes his watch off, it is problems. It's very problematic. So what, what's going on? There's 5,000 men, and the disciples are like, Jesus, you better send them away. We don't have enough food. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And the disciples are like, well, I only got the Snickers bar and I'm going to eat it myself. You know, it's not what it said. Come on, guys, let's laugh this morning. And uh, Jesus says, have them sit down in groups of 50 and you do this. And he replicates this bread, five loaves and two fishes. And the Bible says that everyone ate and were satisfied. They, they, they ate plenty. It, it wasn't just a little morsel, you know, and I'm they ate, and they were filled. I, I like to eat, and I know you're looking down at my, like, I, we can tell, Richie, we know that you do. They, they ate, and they were satisfied, and it's this beautiful, beautiful story. And then afterwards, Jesus 
you have the walk on water thing, which is one of the most incredible things in the Bible. It's just great. And after this, in verse 22 of John chapter 6, the crowd remained on the other side, and they saw that there had only been one boat there. And Jesus has not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. So they're like, okay, we're going to get Jesus for ourselves. The disciples have gone over. Jesus is here. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. Say that with me, seeking Jesus. Can I tell you, that's a lie. They weren't seeking Jesus. And I'll tell you why, the next verse. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus sees this game. He says this, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you think you're seeking me. But it's not because you saw signs. You are seeking me because you ate your fill of the loaves. The third response to the move of God I call the bread eaters. They are those that when something is happening, they are there. But if the bread's not being poured out here at Christ Church, they'll go somewhere else where they feel like they can get a little bread. It's not about Jesus. It's about what they personally get. Guys, that is the wrong compass to follow Jesus. Do you know that? If we're following Jesus for what he can do for me, instead of because of who he is, we've missed it. And people do this all the time. How many times, even in recent moves and revivals of God, do all of a sudden people start saying stuff like, well, you know how many thousand people went up there to this? How, how many thousands are there? How, how many thousands have visited this revival? There's a problem with that. And here it is. You better question yourself of why I'm following Jesus. It's easy to amass a crowd when the bread is being poured out. But you know the menu's about to change. And Jesus steps up and he says, let me tell you guys, there's no bread today. I am the bread of life. You better eat my flesh and drink my blood. And the Bible says they all departed from him. And he's left with his disciples. And he said, hey, you want to go too? There's the door. You can get out of here just like they did. If you think it's about this instead of about me, you can leave as well. Because I'll tell you where Jesus was heading. He was heading to a cross. And do you know how many of those 5,000 plus women and children were remaining at the cross? How many men? One. Here's what God has really, really, really been laying on my heart here lately. Be careful chasing after revivals. Be careful chasing after bread. Because here's what I believe. Revival is not determined by how many people show up to eat the bread. Revival is determined by how many people stay and eat his flesh. 
I'm going to say that again. Revival is never determined by how many people amass to eat the bread. There's always people that want to eat the bread. But it's determined by how many people will stay and eat his flesh. It's about Jesus. And it always has been about Jesus. We have produced in the church of America that mile-wide and inch-deep type of faith that's relatively meaningless. Well, we were having fun up until this point. Why'd you have to go here, Richie? Because it's rampant in the church today. We have people in our church, they are there when there's one ounce of excitement. But if not, they're somewhere else. There's no commitment in their life whatsoever to the church, to me, to the Lord. It's all about bread, 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 bread. And we have a bunch of gluttonous, overfat Christians. Is that too offensive in the church? Overfed that have zero commitment to the person of Jesus whatsoever. But I ate the bread. I showed up for the lift weekend. The lift weekend is about to push you to Jesus and what Jesus is doing. See, guys, we've got to sell out to the person of Jesus. One of the most horrific thoughts to me today is the church in America is not ready for the persecution that's coming. But this is America. Well, let me tell you about that. Jesus said, you'll be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Did he say that? Our Constitution is not strong enough to make Jesus Christ a liar. It's coming here. You'll be hated. You'll be hated. But Jesus says at the same time, you'll be blessed. Oh, blessed are you when they say all sorts of things about you. When they deliver you up, great is your reward. Nobody wants to pay a price. We just want a goosebump. I want an exciting service. You know the measuring rod of a good service when I was a kid? I'm sure you've heard this. Talk. Service was so good we didn't even have preaching. That's really good. You didn't get to hear the word of God. Talking about my founding pastor a lot. He used to say, he said, you can run around the church. You can roll in the floor. You can hug each other. You can prophesy. You can get slain in the spirit. He said, if it lasts six hours, that's great. When you're done, I'm going to preach about 45 minutes. And I thought, that is so good. Balance of word and spirit. I can tell you what will make people make it today. It is a personal love relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter how much you've been in church. I've been in enough church services. I don't want a church service. I want an encounter with Jesus. It doesn't matter what family you've come from. We have a K-12 through Christian school at our church, and it's we're about to celebrate our 40th anniversary, and I... I have been watching these kids for 20 years now. Do you know after graduation, a year after graduation, if there's one or two kids that's still serving the Lord, it's been a good class. And I've been watching that. Like, what, what, what is it 
that makes a kid stick. It's not their family. We've had kids that never caused problems. They never were in the office. Not once. They were good kids. They were moral kids. It's not morality. It's not church attendance. It's not anything but that one factor. They were in love with the person of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you, it's the same thing that's true for us as adults. It is all that will make us stick. Are you in love and sold out for the person of Jesus? Or are you in this thing for bread? Because I'm telling you, the menu is changing this morning. Our goal as churches, it's not to get people to be a part of our church. It's to get people close to Jesus. It's not about church membership. It's about pushing people to Jesus. I followed a lot of people and I watched this recent movie that came out, this Jesus movement. It, it was an interesting movie. And one of the things it reinforced to me that God uses imperfect vessels. My uh, in-laws, this is hilarious to me because they're now some of the most respectable, kind, decent people. They were pot-smoking hippies that got saved in the Jesus movement. Like, all in. Flowered, children, peace, love, all of that stuff. That was them. And when I look at them, I'm thinking there's no way that was possible. But they were. And that movement came and it shook our nation at the core in the early 70s. A lot of churches kind of welcomed that. A lot of them didn't. Just like the same thing is today. As the Jesus freaks, you know, started flooding in the churches. I think one of the most polarizing scenes in that movie is when that church started blowing up. And people started getting saved. Some of the traditional churchgoers, they left. And the pastor stood up and he said, this door is open for everybody. But it also swings both ways. That, that impacted me. Because here's where I believe we are in America today. God is bringing people back to him. Yes. Guys, it was the hippies then. It's always been something that was not embraced by the religious. It started with the tax collectors. Jesus did a revival amongst the tax collectors. These people were the most hated people in the Jewish. They were sellouts. They were traitors. Charging exorbitant interest and getting rich off of a foreign entity. And Jesus shows up. Of course, you know the story of Zacchaeus. You know him, the wee little man? I always want to say that in a Scottish accent. I don't know. I don't know why. The wee little man. You know, there you go. There I did it. It's out of my system. Let's move along, you know. One of his, I call him the dirty dozen disciples, was the tax collector in the person of Levi or Matthew. Jesus has a massive party with the tax collectors. And he's eating with them. What they're eating, I have no clue, but I guarantee you it wasn't Jewish ceremonial food. And the religious show up and they ask the disciples. They didn't dare walk in the building and become unclean themselves. Oh no, absolutely not. But they got to the disciples, which tells me something else as well. They also were not inside the building. 
They asked him, why, why does your master eat with these people? And Jesus gets wind of it, and do you know what he says? It's not the well that need a doctor, but it's the sick. I've come to seek and save that which was lost. See, God is always seeking to work amongst those that the religious are standing against. I'm going to say that again. Jesus is always wanting to work amongst what the religious is standing against. It was the hippies. Guess what it was? Jesus was wanting to work amongst what the church was standing against. Acts chapter 10, it was something totally different. It was the Gentiles. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, for obvious reasons, is rise, kill, and eat. Just get goosebumps. I feel a little shaking in my right arm when I read that verse. It's just a, such a good one. Let me tell you where that comes from. Peter's up on the roof praying. Uh, food wasn't quite ready yet. He said, I'm going to go up on the roof and pray. And he, and he sees this sheet being let down from heaven with every animal imaginable. <clears throat> those that he has never eaten. Guys, bacon was in that sheet. And it's just so, so good. Just praise God. Pork chops was in the sheet. Things he had never eaten. I just believe he smelled it too. And God says, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter says, oh, by no means. I, I don't think so. I have never eaten anything unclean. And God says, you are missing out. And it happens two more times. And it is a beautiful thing. And then God says, there are going to be two men coming to, to this place to get you. Go with them and go to this house. And it's this guy named Cornelius. And he shows up, and Cornelius is a Gentile, and Peter's like, am I supposed to be here? I know the church is kind of against you Gentiles right now, but God, hey guys, I'm here because God showed me a sheet with bacon and all kinds of stuff. You are that bacon. I'm here for you. And the church gets word of it, that he was actually seeing Gentiles saved. And I love one of the verses in, that, in Acts there. It says, they received the same Holy Spirit that we did. And the church was like, oh, by no means. What was that? God is always wanting to work amongst that which the church is standing against. Look at our culture today. Do you know the heart of God has not changed? It has not changed. Guys, I just want to, I'm not the big prophet, but I do want to prophesy something over this church. The face of this church is about to change. There's going to be people inside these doors that make you uncomfortable. That have never fit before. What is that? It's the move of God in today's culture. What would this church do? Uh, let me just be very, can I be real in church yeah, this morning? What, what, what if this church filled with drag queens? What would you do? It wouldn't be any different than a tax collector or a hippie or a Gentile to them. I'm just picking one of those very 
issues today. It's like, oh no. But can I tell you that it's God's heart for them just like it was the tax collectors, just like it was for the hippies, just like it was for the Gentiles. Why do you know that's God's heart? Because he said he's not willing for one to perish. God wants to work amongst that which the church is standing against. And my biggest fear is that we are going to eat the leaven of the Pharisees and say, I don't want any part of that, and we're going to miss out on the next move of God. God's heart is that not one person perish. This is going to shock people in this church. God even wants to save liberal Democrats. I got people in my church that can't sit in the same building with somebody that voted differently than they did. Uh-oh. You stepped in it now, Richie. He's not willing that one should perish. That's the heart of God. But the heart of the church is me, myself, and mine and our little comfort zone and you have those that have chosen the path of criticism. Oh, they don't belong here. My gosh, we had a movement at our church. It was unbelievable about 10 years ago. There's a little homeless community in Paducah. They call it Tent City. They live out in the woods. I don't know if that was there when you pastored there or not. Massive amount of people homeless. They started coming to church. Oh, my heart was so full. Tons of homeless people that had not bathed. And I had one of our <clears throat> more seasoned Pharisees. He gave me the, and I'm like, oh Lord. He happened to be my great uncle. And he said, Richie, that guy stinks. And I just played dumb. I said, who are you talking about? And he said, that scraggly beard over there. And my heart broke because I'm thinking, you stink so much more than he ever did. Gosh, you're going to miss it. Please, please, please. Now, I, I'm not trying to break down sacred cows and traditions this morning. I'm telling you, there is a change coming. What is God lifting us up into? He's lifting us up into focusing more on Jesus and on lost and hurting people and getting our eyes off of our preference and seeking and saving that which is lost. It's still God's heart for the world today. It doesn't matter who they are or where they come from. Man, one of the biggest things that's happened in our... We've had an influx of denominational people over the last 10 years. We've had Church of Christ people coming into Christian fellowship, receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's awesome. Catholics. Lutherans. Baptists. I don't even know what to call our church. It's a smorgasbord. I don't even care what we call it. I just see a cry of people wanting more. And that's what God wants to do today. Can I promise you something? The picture at the return of Christ of the world is not a good one. Do you know that we always like to act like, well, the good old days are going to come back. The good old days are gone, guys. They're not coming back. 
I know that hurts. Our nation is not returning to how it was in 1945. I wished it could. I mean, th those were awesome. The greatest generation. The picture of when Jesus comes back, though, is a world of hostility where people hate one another. But right in the midst of that, Joel prophesied, I'm going to pour my spirit out on all flesh. It's two concurrent streams, hostility and harvest, right beside each other. Hostility yeah, and harvest. Yeah, yeah. Hatred and revival. Persecution and revival. I had a church, I'm kind of meddling. Do I have just a couple more minutes? I had a church member that came to me. I was floored. He was talking about how bad China is. I had preached a sermon on Jesus. He's talking about how bad China is. I'm like, okay. And he made this statement. He says, you know, Christianity doesn't work under communism. And I'm like, brother, have you ever heard of the underground church movement in China where millions are flooding to Christ? What we want and what he's saying, even though he didn't know this, we want our comfort zone more than we want the move of God. And I'm like, bro, you are missing it. I don't look forward to persecution. I don't want that. I have a pretty low pain tolerance. I'm a man. All wives say, my wife can lose both arms and both legs and go to work. I get a hangnail and I need to be hospitalized. Jenny. She babies me so much, and I'm just going on. I'm not looking forward to that, but it's coming because Jesus said it's coming. We don't focus on that. What gets us through that? We lift our eyes because our redemption's drawing nigh. Our eyes are focused on Jesus. We are harnessed in on what God's doing in the world today. We're not settling for a kingdom in the world today because we realize we're citizens of something much greater. Guys, I want to tell you, my citizenship is 100% to a kingdom that can't be shaken. And he is coming. My king is coming. And when he comes, he says, well, I find faith on the earth. It's a good question. I don't know. I believe he will. But it will take that fourth point. Number one, we can't take the critical path of the move of God. Number two, we can't be unmoved and apathetic and lukewarm about it either. Number three, we can't just make it about what I get for myself, eating bread. The fourth path is a love relationship with the person of Jesus. Man, I'm so grateful that God wants me to know him. That Jesus has opened himself up to a full relationship with me. I think we take this for granted. But when Jesus died on the cross and he breathed his last. One of the most beautiful imageries in the Bible. The temple veil. Was torn in two from top to the bottom. That's more than a curtain ripping guys. That was the veil of separation. Between us and God. God said come on in to the most holy place. It is no longer any separation. The blood of Jesus has made a way. Man. Enter into that love relationship. It's what will help you make it through.
God is moving, and I'm telling you, I am ready. I'm ready. Pastor Zach, name this weekend, Lift. What are we being lifted to? Being lifted to a move of God. 